It's the Geeky Waffle Podcast. Today, we are talking about the second season of Bridgerton. I'm Arzu, and with me is our newest waffle contributor, Chelsea. Hi. So, okay. The reason Chelsea and I wanted to talk about the second season of Bridgerton, not only are we best friends, but Bridgerton, and specifically the book series on which the series is based, is one of the things that we first bonded over back when we were extremely stressed out grad students. Yep. (laughs) So Chelsea is actually the one who got me into Bridgerton and Julia Quinn and all that stuff. So how did you first like come across her work? I think I actually first found a Julia Quinn book at the grocery store and was like, oh, this sounds fun, Regency Romance. Uh, I think it was actually like the second or third of one of the series, but it didn't really matter if it was read out of order. And so I just kind of started following her as an author and getting into it, but I didn't read very many of them. And then going into grad school, when things started getting stressful, I was like, you know, I'm going to look back into that Julia Quinn lady and see (laughs) what else she has going on. And I ended up picking up the first Bridgerton and you probably like came into my room since we were living together. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, I'm stressed out. So I'm just reading this Regency romance. I feel like you were telling me about it, like on the bus back from school and you're like, yeah, I'm reading this romance. I'm like, okay, cool. I like romance. What's it about? And you're like, it's about eight siblings. And I'm like, alrighty. And you're like, and they're named (laughs) alphabetically. I'm like, that sounds wild. And then you were sort of loosely explaining the plot of the Duke and I, and I'm like, okay. This sounds interesting. And then uh, we were borrowing them from the same library accounts. Like every time we wanted to change a book, it was a whole process. But I think that term was a particularly stressful one for us both. And then we were just kind of, we really dove into Julia Quinn after after oh, the yeah. Bridgerton books. There's, um, what's it called? What Happens in London is one mm-hmm. of her books. I think that I remember my first one actually. Yeah, because that is the second one in the series. But I remember that one really jumped out at us because the male, like the hero of the book is a translator. And we were in translation mm-hmm. school at the time. So I remember thinking like that being singled out. I was like, that's funny. Because what <laughs> else is going to get us through that very hellish semester? Yep, exactly. Yeah. All right, I'm going to, I'm going to pivot before I start ranting about that semester again but anyway um (laughs) because I am ready I am ready that was not a good time but what was a good time was obviously reading the books and then finding out that they were turning it into a series was just Mm -hmm. absolutely wild and now we have both seen the second season yep of Bridgerton um based on the second book the Viscount Who Loved Me um which you know I liked the first time I read but rereading it before like I reread the whole series before the second season came out and it jumped up to the top of my list. It is mm-hmm. officially my favorite Julia Quinn full stop. Mm-hmm. But I don't quite like what, what are your thoughts on the book? Um, I think it was one of my favorite ones because I, I love the trope of a guy who starts out really stubborn and then becomes a teddy bear. Mm-hmm. Um, so <laughs> That definitely fits the bill with this one. Um, Cause Antony is just, so preoccupied with being the head of his family and it takes a woman who is equally as stubborn as him and equally preoccupied yeah to um kind of break through his barriers and make him realize that he doesn't need to be quite so stubborn all the time 
I agree. I agree. I love the grump who becomes a teddy bear for exactly one person yeah. on this earth. Um, I, I like sort of, I wouldn't say it feels mature because Anthony is not a mature person, but the themes. He kind of is. He kind of is, but sometimes it just flies off the handle. I'm like, my guy, you're the head of a family. But that's part of his charm, I think. But yeah, well, I think he handles business really well. I mean, he obviously like handles money well enough to oh yeah, you know, keep his family safe and secure and all that kind of stuff. So I mean, business wise, he's he's fine. Yeah, it's just like social wise, social wise, emotionally, <laughs> yeah, just a touch repressed, oh, repressed, yes, yeah, but. That's okay, because that's part of the beauty of the book. And like I've said it before, I will say it again. Like one thing I love about it is that they both have a what they don't realize is a shared trauma of mm -hmm. of losing a parent at a yeah. pivotal moment in their life that has stuck with them into adulthood and it affects them in different ways. And them kind of overcoming this together is like mm -hmm. the backbone of their relationship. And it's what yeah. solidifies them. And then as you get in the later books their love story their relationship is the relationship the other siblings all aspire to right like especially the younger ones are like i am not marrying unless it's anthony and kate unless it's like that exactly so definitely a very strong romance definitely recommend the book but let's get into the second season so okay i cannot overstate how much i was looking forward to this season yeah even as we speak, there is a picture of Anthony and Kate. It is the background of my computer. Like, that is where <laughs> we're at. And then I saw it. And it's not, it's not bad. It is a good second season to a period drama series. Yes. It is not a good adaptation of The Viscount Who Loved Me. Yeah, I think anyone who's watching the show who has not read the book will probably be a little bit more satisfied because if you have read the book, then you're just kind of going to be comparing the two. And it does hit all the high points. I mean, it hits the most important parts, but it leaves a lot out of the journey of, of mm -hmm. how they got there. And I think that's kind of what I've seen around that people are kind of disappointed if they've read the book and are like, oh, well, that's not quite how I wanted it to be resolved, but it kind of works. Yeah, like the the big sort of story beats, like the trip to, my God, the name of their house just flew out of my head. Ashbury Hall. Aubrey Hall. Aubrey. Yeah. Who lives at Ashbury? Somebody else. The, <laughs> it's, it's I swear it's somewhere else in the books. Okay, Aubrey Hall. Like the trip to Aubrey Hall is a big thing. The Paul Mall game is a big thing. Like those beats are all hit, mm -hmm. but past the midpoint of the season so we are talking spoilers by the way if you have not seen the second season let's just yes. switch it off now come back <laughs> switch there's no switch turn it off now come back <laughs> when you've seen it because we are just diving headfirst into spoiler territory so yep. from the moment anthony proposes to edwina until they kiss after the wedding mm -hmm. It is just, I don't know what's happening for those two episodes. Like, I can follow it, but that, to me, is where it kind of went irreparably off the rails. Because the tone of 7 and 8 would have been fine it, with some minor adjustment directly following Aubrey Hall. Because, like, mm -hmm. Edwina is jealous, Edwina's upset, but these two love each other, but they can't be together because whatever. And then they get together and then they they have a couple episodes to grow as a married couple. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, obviously you'd have to change it because the growth happens prior to the marriage, Mm -hmm. but it's those two episodes where like they stopped being able to hit the beats because there were no more beats to hit. Right. But I don't know if you agree with that. Yeah. I mean, I mean, the big departure from the books is the fact that he actually proposes to Edwina, obviously. Mm -hmm. And, and yeah, I agree that it's it's kind of hard to recover from that because then they spend so much time trying to resolve the whole love triangle, which didn't exist in the book, I don't think, um, instead of getting to the, the more interesting part of their working through their trauma together. And I, I think in the book, it does get to the point where they are working through some of the trauma after they get married. Mm-hmm. And so to not, we don't really get that, that bonus of getting to actually see them married. Oh, there's that little epilogue at the end where we see like six months later. They're Which is very cute. And yeah. thankfully they had that because I was ready to sob. <laughs> but yeah, but it still feels like we didn't quite get to revel in, in their union as much as we did in the book. Because you're right. Like, it, it's not that they work through some of their trauma post-marriage. All of their trauma is worked through after that. Because, like, Anthony knows about her fear of storms, but he thinks it's just yeah. that she gets nervous. And that happens, right. you know, before he proposes to her. But he doesn't realize how bad it gets until after they're married. And he doesn't realize why it's that bad until after they're married. Yeah, it's not and until just- they're sharing a bed and she mm-hmm. is disturbed during a storm that he realizes that it's more serious than he thought it was it's literally like sleep paralysis right in in reaction to it and that's when he realizes how how severe her her fear is and then his his sorry go ahead i was just saying which they completely get rid of in the show i mean she's like a little bit scared of storms in the show but not really uncomfortable but still enough to walk down to the library looking absolutely radiant (laughs) <laughs> like Simone Ashley is just a gorgeous woman and if she's on screen could not take my eyes off of her but right <laughs> yeah it's like it's lip service at best it's like Anth- Anthony's trauma let's say because that's the the one that I guess actually does make the jump to to the screen mm-hmm. um, is a little bit also changed from the books because he's not the one who finds his father or has to watch him die Eloise finds him in in the book anyway but Anthony basically just walks into the house and they're like, by the way, you're the Viscount. Now your father's dead. And he can't figure out how a bee is what killed his dad. And he wasn't there Mm -hmm. and he didn't see it happen. And then has not only developed an irrational fear of bee stings, but also, I guess it's not irrational really, but has developed a fear of bee stings, but also has developed the conviction that he's not going to live past the age of 38. Right. How old his father was when he died. And that's the whole reason that's the irrational part. <laughs> that's the irrational part. And that's the whole reason he doesn't want to fall in love because he's like, well, there's no point. I'm going to die at 38. And I'm going to leave a devastated widow behind like my mother mm-hmm. was. So I'm just going to marry a woman I'm never going to love. Yeah. And then that's his problem marrying Kate is that he does, in fact, love her very much and doesn't want to admit it. Exactly. Yeah. And in the show, we see his fear of bees. But what we don't get is the conversation afterward. Mm-hmm. Because he and Kate talk about it at length, about why he's scared of bees and why he created this whole fiction for himself that he needed to marry without love, etc. And she helps him, you know, overcome that. And so 
it's that character building together that we miss in the show. Yeah. And then there is that also that marriage without love concept that Kate gets. Um, because Kate, you know, in the book is not solely fixed on her sister's happiness because her sister is entitled to money or because her sister can help with the status purely because of who she is. It's because realistically speaking, she's younger. She is objectively prettier Mm -hmm. in the eyes of society. Like she's just their better chance. She's like the Jane Bennett of the family. Just like, let's be real. If anybody's going to marry well, it's Edwina. Yeah. So that's why she's pinned the hopes on Edwina. And then she's like kind of resigned herself to not marrying or she doesn't care, but then she starts to fall for Anthony. And then he proposes to her under duress because he doesn't just react to the beast things. He tries to suck out the poison Mm -hmm. and it's very inconveniently located right over her breast. And the mothers all just assume the worst. So um, not only now is she being forced to marry this man, she is actually falling in love with, but he is very point blank telling her, we can have a friendly relationship, but mm-hmm. we're never going to have a loving one. Right. And it's marriage. It's permanent. And she's going into her marriage with that knowledge that her husband doesn't love her and doesn't intend to, at least as far as she knows. Right. Um, and just to clar- clarify, we are talking about Kate there. I think you last. Yes. I Sorry. Edwin was the last <laughs> name I said, but I was talking about Kate. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what do you mean you all aren't in my head? <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so yeah, Kate and Anthony go into this forced marriage, um, which is kind of another fun trope that we see in historical romances. It's mm-hmm. like couples being forced together and then they end up falling in love. And actually, well, that's what we saw with uh, Daphne and Simon. Yeah. In the first one, they were forced together and end up falling in love. Um, I-, I think it was a bit more natural in this one. They didn't really fight each other quite as much. In the Anthony. book or in the show? um in the book yeah yeah because they weren't forced to get married in the show right yeah i think that like what i'm thinking from a show perspective is they probably didn't want a second forced marriage one season later and i understand that but the difference to me is that with daphne and simon they wanted to be together but were telling themselves they couldn't be, but like they, they were already attracted to each other. They were sort yeah. of pretending to date. They did get along. Whereas like Anthony and Kate like did not get along, like up until the moment where he proposes to her, they've had maybe one polite conversation and they're right. finally starting to be like, Oh, I guess we can be friends. And then their moms are like, surprise, the wedding's on Saturday. So <laughs> I think maybe they had kissed once before that point, because there was a yeah, in the scene office. at Audrey Hall. Yeah, and she like snuck yeah. away to his office accidentally and they kissed. So yeah, they'd had one one good <laughs> But even that wasn't a particularly together. polite conversation. Right. <laughs> they were at each other's throats anyway. I mean it was hot, but <laughs> wasn't the most civil. <laughs> but yeah, and then just to tie it back to what you were saying earlier about there not really being a love triangle in the book. Edwina's interest in Anthony in the book goes as far as it makes financial sense if he proposes, yeah. I guess I'll accept. This isn't really what I wanted, but it won't be the end of the world. Right. And I think the difference, too, is the timeline of how things happen. Because whenever Anthony has to propose to Kate, kind of being forced to in the book, it's pretty early on when they get to Aubrey Hall. 
Mm-hmm. And at that point, he hasn't actually spent that much time with Edwina yet. He hasn't really built up a rapport with her yet. And so when Kate gets engaged to him, Edwina's not really that upset about it. She's like, oh, okay, that's fine. There's other fish in the sea. Yeah. I'll be, I'll be okay. Um, whereas in the show, they spend so much more time together that Edwina starts to paint a picture for herself of her future life with him. And it's like, oh, I really want to be his Viscountess. And so when she finally figures out that Kate and Antony have feelings for each other, it's a huge blow because she's Mm -hmm. had so much more time to spend with him, get to know him. Yeah, I I agree. Like the frustration she feels in the show is taking the show purely for what it is. Very understandable because she- has been raised with a certain expectation has been told that this is your job and she's like okay and then she's thinking you know looking around england at the time what it is she's like it could do a lot worse than anthony bridgerton yeah and he's actually hey he's not the worst and he's handsome and he's charming and he's all this stuff like okay and then she like you said does start to paint that picture but but yeah and in the book i think when they get engaged right away and was like awesome like yeah yeah, she's really happy I, for her sister. I kind of yeah. thought this was going to happen anyway. Like, she doesn't feel that connection with Anthony. She's like, well, it'd be rude. He's a Viscount. But, like, even she seems to think that he and Kate are more interested in each other than he is in her. Yep. And she's happy to let it go. Yeah, and so there's no love triangle because no. Edwina's totally cool with it. Like, Anthony thinks there's a love triangle, but Anthony's the only one who thinks there's a love triangle. Right, and so I think really what I disliked about the show more than the fact that we don't get to see the growth quite as much um, with Anthony and Kate is that um, Edwina and Kate are, are opposed to each other. Mm -hmm. And it's like in the book, they're really close sisters who support each other the whole way. And they have a great relationship. And then suddenly in the show, they're pitted against each other for a man. Yeah. And it made me think like, does this show even patch the Bechdel test? Like <laughs> they unbechdeled it is what they did. Yeah. And I'm like, do we have any, cause I feel like every conversation between these two sisters is about Antony or their father yeah. because they reference their father a lot too, about like what their father would look for, for a husband, for them, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, do we ever have them just talking? Not really. It's, and it's it's just really frustrating because they had such a nice, beautiful relationship in the book. And and here they are as rivals when it's completely unnecessary if they just talk to each other. <laughs> Which like, I guess is something that even like Jane Austen heroines have to learn. Yeah, but I think, but the problem is like Jane Austen is working from scratch. Jane Austen is working from Jane Austen, but they had the source material. They had... Mm-hmm. It's not that the Bridgerton sisters are unsupportive of each other, but they're all in such different places in life, Mm -hmm. mentally, emotionally, just age-wise, that, Mm -hmm. you know, they'd never get the opportunity like this. Like, even Mm -hmm. Francesca and Eloise, who are so close in age, have such different priorities. And, like, Daphne marries super early that her sisters aren't even out yet, so she's not really in the house. Yeah. So, no, I'm not saying that they're not close, or that they're at each other's throats. But like the other sisters that we do see interacting quite a bit are usually at odds with each other. Like in the third book, we have Sophie and her stepsisters who are at odds with each other. We have the Featherington sisters. We have, Mm -hmm. 
No, I guess that's it. But um, but yeah, like we have these two at odds with each other. And then now we've got Kate and Edwina who fall under that same trap. Whereas like in the book, Kate was very like asking Edwina, what do you want? What's your ideal thing? And she's like, well, I'd like a scholar. And she's like, be realistic. And then she's like, okay, fine. A man who likes to read. And she tries to tailor her sister's life to what her sister wants. Yep. And I get giving them higher stakes of like this dowry and whatever, because they don't have money. Cool. But they kind of took Edwina's agency away. Yeah. In making her very young and very naive. Right. And I don't know, like, I, I get that she is upset about Anthony. And I'm not saying any of this is unrealistic, but it is frustrating that the one person who's only ever had Edwina's best interests at heart, her sister, is the first one Edwina, like, just throws under the proverbial bus the minute something goes wrong. Right. So, yes, that was an extremely frustrating part of the season, especially for how long it went on. Yeah. I was surprised. I mean, I I didn't fault Edwina at all. I thought she was totally in the right to be upset with Kate and Antony about, you know, them being mm-hmm. secretly in love and not talking about it. So I think Edwina was fair to be angry. But for how long it went on, it was just like on and on and on. And it's like, okay, why don't you just have a conversation and work it out? instead of just resenting each other in the same household in a super awkward bath scene that I don't understand. Because <laughs> the servants want to carry it once to one room. I guess. I mean, I that's a lot of water no matter what. Like three baths at the same time in the same room and you're all looking at each other. It was weird. And there's nobody in my life I'm that close to. No. No. I love you, but no. No, never. It's not a thing we would ever do. Um, but yeah, I, I get, like, I'm not faulting Edwina. I understand Edwina Sharma as a person who doesn't exist. I understand where she's coming from. I'm faulting the writing a hundred percent that, yeah. that this got dragged on and it was very repetitive after a while. It was like yeah. Kate going, I can't do this. And Edwina like sulking and crying and just walking out of the room. Mm-hmm. over and over and over again throughout episode seven and i understand you're upset but like you said this is a conversation that can push things forward yeah yeah i think in the last two or three episodes we really lacked conversations between the two sisters and then also between kate and Anthony. and because it really felt like in the last couple episodes that it wasn't even about the two of them anymore there was so much other stuff going mm-hmm. on so many sub stories going on that i remember in the last like two episodes i was like Where's our couple? <laughs> Where's our main couple? I think in my in my notes or something for my for my review, I was like, ask me how much I care about the Featherington subplot. <laughs> yeah. I I love Penelope Featherington, although mm-hmm. what she does at the end of the season is questionable, but I'm like, ask me how much I care. I don't. Right. Like <laughs> Well, I do I mean I did enjoy all of the subplots and I have a new appreciation for Portia Featherington. Mm-hmm. I thought what she did was was pretty cool, actually. I mean, the fact that she's scamming people is not good, objectively speaking. But, but being, as a woman with no means. Exactly. She has no money of her own, no power of her own. For her to see an opportunity and grab it, I don't blame her at all. I mean, she's oh, looking out for her, her daughters. And um, so I actually really enjoyed 
her storyline. It's just that it focused so much on it that we didn't get to see our main couple that we're trying to focus on. And so then it felt like an afterthought when they finally got together at the end. I I agree. I think the last two episodes focused very heavily on the, you know, the Bridgerton family scandal and on Lady Whistledown mm-hmm. and Eloise and on the Featheringdens. And every single one of these plots is an interesting plot. Like I enjoyed yep. it for what it was. And that's why I said this is a very good second season of an ensemble period drama. Because the even like Benedict's art school thing, like there was mm-hmm. no single subplot that I found uninteresting Yeah, overall. But by having Anthony propose to Edwina at the end of like episode four, episode five is entirely about the wedding. Mm-hmm. No, episode five is about the build up. Episode six is the wedding. Like, yeah, five and six are the ones where we're really focusing on the wedding. Mm-hmm. By putting so much emphasis on that and effectively bringing the story to like a grinding halt, you have slowed everything else down. And now you're playing catch up in your last two hours where you really needed to drive the couple home. Yeah. Like, like think back to season one. And I know it's not fair to compare seasons, but by the end of episode five, Daphne and Simon were married. By the end of episode six, they had their like third act breakup. And then yep. seven and eight was them coming back together. Yeah. Whereas yeah, I Anthony, thought the pacing was a lot better there. It was so much better because the first season remembered it was supposed to be a romance and it's like about a, mm-hmm. it's based on a romance novel. So the there was a focus on like objective romance plot, but it was misplaced because they focused mm-hmm. like Edwina played too big a role in it and it slowed down the overall pacing of the love story. Yeah. And another thing because they kind of got Kate and Anthony together sexually before getting married, I felt that undercut their growth as well because something that helps them in the book is, you know, getting married so quickly then in like even just the physical act of sharing a bed is what helps them learn about each other and grow together. Mm-hmm. And in the show, it's like, oh, we did this thing spur of the moment and now we both regret it. Yeah. When it should have been, we're doing this thing together to push each other to understand each other and be better people and improve ourselves. And so it kind of, I think I felt like it undercut the moment a bit. I mean, I did like the scene. Don't get me wrong. Simone right. Ashley and Jonathan <laughs> Bailey have beautiful chemistry, sexually and otherwise, but... It was an interesting trend throughout the season of like, because if you've read Regency Romance or you're familiar with the, the first season of Bridgerton or loosely what the the perceived social norms were, is that if you are a man and a woman alone somewhere together and are caught by somebody, like y- you as a woman could be considered compromised and a man of mm-hmm. honor would then do the right thing and marry you, even right. if nothing happened. But... Earlier in the season at Aubrey Hall, they're, they nearly kiss in Anthony's office and Daphne walks in mm-hmm. and they choose like, you know, Kate freaks out and Anthony's like, I'm not marrying her. Nothing happened. And Daphne's like, but you have to, like you caught me in a similar position. Like Daphne's the only one who's read the book. And she's like, you caught <laughs> me in a similar position. And he's like, but that doesn't matter. Like I'm going to marry Edwina anyway. So Anthony is not honoring his commitments 
quote mm-hmm. unquote, as, as a gentleman should. So then after they have sex and he comes to her and proposes, I, it doesn't surprise me that she thought that he was only proposing because he thought he had to. Yeah, that's true. Like, so of course she, although I did think it was very funny when Kate was trying to explain to Mary, like he's only proposed because we had sex and she realizes what she's saying and kind of trails off. I'm like, yeah, that was really good. Because we um elsewhere. And Mary's like, okay, anyway. Um <laughs> gonna ignore that part. I'm gonna pretend you didn't say that. But like I thought that was funny, but at the same time, like it you're right, it completely undercuts what happened in in the book, like mm-hmm. in terms of that emotional growth between the two of them. But then also by this point we've dragged it out so long that yeah. We don't have time to fill our sex scene quota. Right. Yeah. So. When watching the show, when there was a the whole beasting episode and that they weren't caught and weren't forced to get married then. But then with, later on, we have the study scene where Daphne catches them. I'm like, oh, good. This be- is where it's. <laughs> yeah, this is where it happens. They're going to be forced together and then realize how much they love each other. And then it still didn't happen. And I'm like, Daphne, I know you're protecting your brother but you should have pressured him a little bit more. Also, Daphne isn't like Daphne Bridgerton. She's Daphne Duchess of Hastings. She has right. she has pull. She could have used it if she wanted to. I know her husband is not in this season, even though it's hilarious that Anthony's his best friend and he didn't come to his wedding. But <laughs> like she could have used her pull and she probably should have just to get her brother to do the right thing. And that could have been a whole thing with Edwina. Like Kate yeah. is newly married. Kate is stressed at being newly married. And Edwina... Having fallen in love with Anthony wants nothing to do with Kate. You right. want to get your sisterly drama in there somehow. This is how you do it. Yeah. But. Yeah. And then know. we could have had a bit more time with them post marriage working through their issues together. Yeah. Yeah. Like. I agree. I think in. in for all that. The performance of it was good. The execution in terms of the writing is where I find it lacking. Like a friend of mine sent me a, a Bridgerton quote because I I asked her for a couple, like specifically Anthony thinking about Kate. Mm-hmm. And it's so beautiful and it's so poetic. And I'm reading it and I'm thinking, this is how it was performed, even if it's not how it was written. Right. Like you can you can see that everybody there has a sense of who these characters are meant to be, mm-hmm. like on the page. And they are performing it that way mm-hmm. but then the the writing is kind of giving into this bigger drama inclination mm-hmm. that i think did a disservice to it overall yeah the other impression i get i don't know if you agree with me on this is like after season one it was the same sort of joke circulating like don't watch this with your parents and like mm-hmm. It's so steamy and episode mm-hmm. six and wildest dreams and like all of this stuff and all of the jokes that we're making about the, you know, the more salacious, bodice, rippy content. I think was taken by the writers as like an insult. Mm. Yeah, because they really cut back on it. This they season. really cut back on it. But I'm like, it's not it wasn't a bad thing. We just never yeah. see sexuality in that way, like played so straight on screen. Like, like it's not a shameful thing. It's not, right. it, it's not like an HBO, like quick and dirty thing. It's not an overly, I mean, it is overly lit and 
beautifully scored, but but in a much more intimate, sensual way, in a way that we just we generally don't see very often. And I think right. people like that about the show. Yeah, I think so too. Because I mean, generally, we're used to like the Jane Austen ad- ad- adaptations that are pretty um, sparse in that mm-hmm. way. And that, I mean, that's kind of an of the time type of thing. So I don't fault them for that. No, but not with at all. Bridgerton, this is written in modern times for modern audiences. And there's nothing wrong with spicing it up in order to please your modern audiences. Um, because it doesn't need to be all black and white, you know, somber kisses on the hand <laughs> kind of thing. It's okay to um, liven up, liven it up a little bit. And um, I mean, it's it's never, they're never going to please everybody. There's always going to be some people who are like, oh, there's too much sex. Oh, there's not enough sex. Um, but because Bridgerton is what it is, I think it does a disservice by trying to be more like an Austin adaptation mm-hmm. than a modern romance. I agree. And like, think about, I, I mean, I said HBO quick and dirty. Think how many times we saw Anthony in season one have sex with Sienna. Mm-hmm. And not just sex, but like how often Anthony had time to like just be with Sienna like in bed, not doing anything, but they're just in bed. They are talking, they are sharing their feelings. They're having all of these vulnerable conversation moments that, you know, Anthony keeps pulling away and Sienna keeps trying to open up to him. And like, that speaks volumes about where the relationship's at. But that's, that's one thing that in the romance genre in general, that like pillow talk is great for. Yep. Is like people at their most vulnerable, having a conversation, not having a conversation and what they are, aren't saying speaks volumes. And we don't, we don't get, any of that with Anthony and Kate and that's where a lot of it comes from in the book is like like okay we're gonna get into this one it's like their their honeymoon their wedding night not their honeymoon Mm -hmm. like the wedding night in the book is like Kate walking into this marriage and walking into her marriage bed convinced that her husband is about to have sex with her while picturing her sister right because of her insecurity, because of her belief that he wanted to marry Edwina and he got stuck with marrying her. And Anthony's mission in the moment is, you know, not only to satisfy his own desire, but to convey to Kate that he does very much want her, that he does very much like her. He loves her. He's not going to tell her that. But, you know, like, so him conveying to her that he does think she is beautiful. Mm-hmm. And that's the importance of the moment. And he does make her feel valued and he appreciates her time. And all of that happens over the course of a chapter while they are having sex and mm-hmm. like foreplay and all that, which we lose here because, mm-hmm. and this was the one thing I was really worried about losing in adaptation is that Kate in the show hints at her vulnerability, but we never really fully see it play out. Right. Yeah. Like she just keeps going, I'll go back to India. I'll go back to India. But her idea of not being enough, not being pretty enough, not being like, not womanly, but like well-behaved enough. Mm-hmm. None of it plays out on screen. Right. So. I mean, I think overall, whether in the bedroom or not, we just didn't really get enough time alone with these two characters mm-hmm. to see them grow together. I think that's that's really what it is. 
we had lots of time with these characters together in a group, you know, with their parents there, or their siblings there, but just the two of them have very sparse moments together. Right. Yeah, I agree. Like I use the, I use the wedding night as, as an example, because that's, you know, that's one of the ones that sticks out and we didn't get very much of that kind of time. But like, even in the, in the book, like, like you said, they do get a lot of moments alone together. Like right after they get married, you know, Anthony keeps saying, I have to go to work. I have business. I have whatever in case like that's fine. But he always comes home in the afternoon and he always like sits there and listens to her, like practice the flute or Mm -hmm. they just kind of hang out and have tea together. And like, they start to spend more and more time together existing. And he's going, I don't have to be out all day. I need to be. So I don't fall in love with her, but also I'm finding reasons to come home earlier and earlier. And Mm -hmm. I get that's not, high stakes for a television drama, which is why mm-hmm. I thought if they want to really play up the Edwina angle, which I don't love ideally, like granted, you know, sisterly love triangle, not about that, but had they wanted to go that route, they could have had the problem post-marriage, not only being that they don't think that they're a good fit, that they're never going to fall in love, but also that this marriage has cost Kate her closest relationship. Right. Yeah, Yeah, there's all kinds of way to like shake up the drama and make it a little bit different so that the book readers aren't seeing the exact same thing and they are a little bit surprised. But that doesn't mean that you have to compromise a nice sisterly relationship for drama. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like like take um, take season one, for example, you know, with the Duke and I, the book it's pretty straightforward. Like Daphne and Simon see each other. They kind of hang out at a couple balls. They're starting to get into each other and then they get caught in the garden and they're forced to marry. Mm-hmm. But season one in the first half, while this is going on to increase the stakes adds the Burbrook thing in the first couple episodes. And then we have the Prince mm-hmm. in the next two episodes right. and then they get engaged and they get married. And then once they get married, where like the, the core of their relationship lives then the show veers back towards the book because it's a romance novel. It is focused on their relationship. So mm-hmm. like, don't, don't mess with the parts that aren't broken. Right. But here, like the first half sticks fairly close to the book while changing just enough to keep it interesting. And then, and then the only things that they really retain after that are the names. Right. Yeah. I feel like it's, it's the first three episodes are okay. And then after that, it veers off because the end of episode three is the bee sting. Right. And then we open episode four and I'm like, oh, nobody caught them. (laughs) So this is where it starts to veer wildly from the book. Well, that's where I also thought that like, okay, if they didn't want to do the bee sting, because I get it, it's kind of like you're ruining Anthony's anxiety moment. And like, it is kind of funny for them to catch them like that. Like, okay, they'll get caught later this weekend and we'll end up back where we started. But and then like like you, like when Daphne walked in, I'm like, here we go. That's it. Duchess of Hastings, get them married. And then he's like, no, no, I'm not listening to you. And I'm like, Anthony, read the book. Yeah. <laughs> well, I feel like we've talked a lot about we don't like. We spent 40 minutes on it, in fact. <laughs> <laughs> right. But That's there is a lot, that, like. we like. there is yeah, a lot that we do like. There is a lot that we do like. There is a lot we like. Well, actually, well, one funny thing that is like, uh, I guess not really like or don't like is how little Francesca is in this. Yes. I wrote down (laughs) (laughs) 
because the whole season I was like, we're kicking everybody but Francesca. And like in season one, it was like, oh, Francesca went to Bath with some friends. With her aunt to practice piano. Right. And in this one, so she's there in episode one. She gets one line in the opening scene where they're all waiting for Eloise to come out of her room. She gets one line there. And then in two scenes in that episode, she's playing the piano in the background. And then we don't see her again until episode three, where she has one line when Daphne comes in with her baby. And then we see her playing the piano in the background again. And that is it. (laughs) She's gone. Yep. Here's my thing with Francesca, because even my mother asked me, she's like, so where is Francesca? She's like, she said one of the kids is missing because she knows there's eight of them yeah. and she can see all the boys and like the girls are all very loud. So she's like, one of the kids is missing. I'm like, oh, it's Francesca. Yeah. And then I realized as I was explaining this to her that I don't think Julia Quinn knew what to do with Francesca either mm. because Francesca gets married pretty early on in the books and they're like Francesca's in Scotland. Like she's always not here. Right. Well, I'm thinking... I don't know about season one, but season two, I think it's because um, the actress that plays her is busy because I looked it up and she's one of the three primary characters in this other, this new show that's coming out this year. So I'm, I'm guessing that she had to go film it and Lockwood and co it's uh, it's coming out later this year and it's, like about three teenagers who um, solve a mystery together. All right, so that's where that's where she is. I'm yeah. <laughs> also wondering if she was off to the side just because there was so much going on. But maybe like season three, when we're focusing a bit on Benedict, whose story is so focused just on Benedict that when they give the other Bridgerton something to do, that maybe we can see the early days of like Francesca and John's like courtship yeah instead of just being like she's in scotland don't ask questions (laughs) and then suddenly yeah suddenly she's a widow so yeah i i really think it was the acting conflict because like i think the the scene where in episode three where she has her second line of the entire season um they're in aubrey hall and then she never shows up again so like she's not there yeah, well, it's like, what is she sick? Like, she's there somewhere, <laughs> and like, she she doesn't show up at the dinner, or at any mm. of the party event, or the ball, or anything. So, so she's it's not just out yet. Amazing. That's the other thing. She's not out because Eloise just came out. But they had that big, the big family dinner, and Gregory and Hyacinth were there. I was oh. mostly just like looking at all the times Gregory and Hyacinth were in the room with all of them, and then Francesca was not there, and I'm like, Francesca's not feeling well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah like i was very sickly i like francesca like as a character i liked her book i thought it was one of the more um it's like francesca is very quiet and so is the book it's like it's a little bit sad a little a little more thoughtful that's what i liked about it so i hope we get more of her next season mm-hmm. it was nice that she got to speak this time around <laughs> instead of just showing up i think at the end of season one going what happened while i was away <laughs> yeah I feel like she got more lines in season one, though. Like, had, like, an actual conversation. She had literally two lines in this season. Poor baby. I feel like I saw her more in this season. So it's like, oh, good. More Francesca. (laughs) 
but and then we have Eloise who has made her debut into society. Yes. And I I love her so much. She might be my favorite Bridgerton. Yeah. I, I don't know. Her and Benedict actually might be. I love why. their relationship. I love their <laughs> yeah. little like we are oddballs. Yep. We have quirky interests and they just yes. I love their dynamic so much. Yes. Benedict is so adorable. <laughs> and Eloise is such a powerhouse. I love her. Yeah. And I love like one thing I love and I love when this trope comes up is like the the very well-meaning but high-bred person who is interested in like social reform mm -hmm. being reminded that like it's one thing for them to just come and go mm -hmm. but like the people who who don't have their privilege have to live with the consequences like right. I like that Eloise was made to face that now absolutely and then hopefully that'll feed into her into her character growth in subsequent seasons like I, I wasn't sure about Eloise in season one because I kind of felt like she was being contrary just to be contrary Mm -hmm. But then in this season, like, they really dive into, like, what it is Eloise cares about. Right. Besides, like, not the things she doesn't care about, but, like, what what actually interests her. Right. And she learns a lot of lessons. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm, I'm hoping that she kind of comes to understand why Penelope did what she did. Um, I think they both acted poorly. But... Um, think penelope especially could have handled it better yeah i don't think either of them acted well but i think Pen what penelope did was frustratingly worse yeah i think if penelope had come clean to eloise about her being lady whistledown a lot earlier then they could have worked together mm -hmm. and then maybe even eloise could have been like oh you know i'm okay with you ruining my reputation you know, let me help you figure out the best way to do that in order to get the queen off my back. Or what if we did like X, Y, Z, like they wouldn't, because yeah. I think even Eloise, like for all that she doesn't care about society, like does care about how people perceive her. Yeah. She just doesn't want to be perceived the way Daphne is. Right. But what frustrates me is Penelope, like in what was supposed to be an act of like kindness and love. And I was trying to help you. Penelope, like, has been out in society longer. She's the wallflower. She listens to everybody. And she knows what a woman's reputation is worth in the era she lives in and how mm -hmm. easily it's destroyed. Yeah. And how whoever you are, like, like, even Eloise Bridgerton, like, relies on her reputation not being in complete shambles. Right. And she took the one sort of social currency that Eloise really had in her favor away from her. Yeah. Although I, I think it was pretty mild. I mean, all she did was say that Eloise had went to one of these meetings, which ultimately I think is not that big of a deal. She didn't actually publish that Eloise had been seen with a man. So if it's just like, oh, she went to a secret meeting, I feel like people are going to get over that pretty quickly. And it's not really a big deal. Um, Thanks, but... But I mean, she wasn't compromised. And that's she wasn't, but all you need is like, well, we know the kind of people who go to these meetings and it's mixed society. And like, then they really start like, because, you know, somebody looking to knock the Bridgertons down would look. Right. But I mean, if she just got caught going to one meeting, I think people will eventually forget about it and be like, whatever. As long as she wasn't caught going, you know, regularly to these meetings or caught with a man, you know. That's still a big risk for her to take. Yeah. 
which like it was I get why she thought she was helping mm-hmm. but it's just mean spirited enough that I'm like we're gonna have to do a big amount of legwork in season three. Oh yeah for us to get to a season four point where I am rooting for Colin and Penelope yeah yeah that's that's my big thing is like if Penelope was just there then I'd be like mm-hmm. okay I'm interested to see where this goes but Pe- Penelope is going to be Eloise's sister-in-law down and the we line also, yeah and we also have to do the legwork of Colin being able to get over Marina enough to forgive Penelope for outing her mm-hmm. because that's going to be a big thing too because he's still not totally over Marina well, okay, since you brought it up, let's talk about Marina and Sir Philip because this is like a big thing that like I, I after sitting here for 40 minutes going, I didn't like the book changes. And as much as I love Eloise and Sir Philip in the books, mm-hmm. like I really, really liked Sir Philip with love. Um, this is one I hope they change <laughs> because of the circumstances. Um, I'm not sure I'm agreeing. I agree necessarily. I'm also not sure how much we should go into that, considering that's like book spoilers for people who haven't read I'm it. I'm gonna put up. I'll, I'll put it in the show notes if people want okay. to jump this part. Um, I think it could still work out really well. It'd be a good piece of drama, in that, you know, we know something's gonna happen to Marina. And so then Colin has to mourn and then he's obviously eventually going to find out what Penelope did and has to find a way to forgive her. So, I mean, that's going to be a really good piece of drama. Yes. In that, I agree. But my worry is that you have set up your lone young woman of color until like from season one, Mm -hmm. forced her into a marriage she didn't want to be in. And then have her attempt suicide later. And and then the purpose of that is to free up her husband for one of your heroines. Right. Like, it was one thing in the books. We've never met Marina. We don't know Marina. All we know Mm -hmm. is Eloise's, because she's Eloise's cousin in the book. All we know about it is, like, she was always kind of quiet and sad. Mm -hmm. Right. So... That's where I worry is like because of how they've set Marina up, it doesn't look right to play it out the same way. If she like leaves Sir Philip, I don't know what her mechanism is in this time period to do that. But if she leaves Sir Philip and Sir Philip is devastated and Marina's like, bye, I'm done. That's one thing. Yeah. I could get behind that. But yeah, that's true. Yeah. I mean, suicide is a really dark. Yeah you know, concept to bring into this romance show. Yeah. It, like it, it's even heavy in, in the book into Sir Philip with love. It is quite, it weighs on the book as it, as it should. It's a very heavy subject matter, but if they're aiming to keep this tone, and we don't even know if they're going to go that far because they've only been renewed up to season four, but if they do end up going that far, then they may like, that's the part I hope they change. Mm. Yeah. We are at least going to get some Marina drama, though, uh, since we are at least getting through season four, since Colin finds out that Penelope's lady whistle down before they get married or like right after they get married yes. or something. So um, right before they get married. Yeah. So, so I mean, he 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 would have to find out and 
forgive her before they can get married. Whether which, or not Marina is still alive at that point, you know, I don't know. Which I'm actually glad for. Like, I don't know about the, the Marina side of things, but I'm actually glad that Colin finds out before they get married and that he does have to go through the step of forgiving Penelope because there's not a whole lot of drama in, in mm -hmm. the fourth book in Romancing Mr. Bridgerton. Mo Some of it's about the two of them, like him realizing that Penelope has always been there. Yeah. It's like the you belong with me, Taylor Swift track, <laughs> yeah. essentially. But otherwise, it's more about the truth of Lady Whistledown coming out and like Colin's interest in writing travel journals that comes out. And it's it's not super emotional stakes between the two of them. It's like the like the the tone at large is looking for Lady Whistledown, and that's the plot of the book. Right. So yeah, so I think like you said, like having that dimension of him having to forgive Penelope makes it more interesting. Yeah. Just what they end up doing with Marina will be interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Please, please help Marina survive this series. <laughs> we completely jumped um, Benedict, who is the, if they follow the books, going to be the focus of the next season. Yes. He's such wait. a sweetheart. I love him so much. He's such a sweetie. He's so funny. I'm constantly looking at him in the background of scenes, reacting to things. <laughs> He's just got the goofiest expressions. Yeah. And I love them so much. And I'm yeah. looking forward to him being like hyper romantic just oh because of like God. how poetic he is. I'm like, oh my God, I really hope he writes some really nice love poetry. <laughs> None of us are going to survive. We're not making it <laughs> season three alive. I know I just spent all this time talking about my dashed hopes and expectations and here I am building myself up again yep. like a clown, but that's okay. Um, We're not going to make it. And if I may take this opportunity to ask the Bridgerton casting people who are being so open mm -hmm. with the spectrum across which they cast mm -hmm. to consider that the name Sophie does have roots in Persia. So if you ever felt <laughs> like uh, maybe her mother was, was from Persia, that would be awesome mm -hmm. for me yep. personally. Thank you. That would be awesome. I agree. But yeah, um, Benedict Bridgerton high off his rocker on some kind of tea. Yes. Was. That was amazing. The delight I, didn't I really liked it. his painting too. Yeah, <laughs> all the swirls. He's I like, like I've nice. cracked the coat or like whatever. He's like feels like he's discovered new colors or whatever. Like, this is great, <laughs> but it was nice. I liked it. It was. was Although I was a little concerned with how off the rails the season had gotten by the end. That when Benedict went to the art academy and the the life drawing model was there. And they started flirting. I'm like, she's going to look at him and say, my name's Sophie, isn't she? Oh, God. Like, that's <laughs> what, I was waiting for this. <laughs> it didn't happen. I'm like, okay, <laughs> we're saving that for next season. But this was my this was my fear. No. Yeah. Wouldn't do that. Uh, but yeah, there's still lots of other stuff that I loved about it. I mean, in general, all the acting was mm -hmm. incredible. Um um i loved all of the um cultural stuff they brought in for kate and Irina mm -hmm. that's going on throughout like the color palette for them um and Especially for kate. In, yeah i mean gosh doing her in jewel tones oh my gosh she's so beautiful what, what <laughs> an inspired inspired choice yeah and so often 
Edwina was wearing a pastel shade of the jewel tone that Kate was wearing. I'm like, that's nice. That's a nice yeah. touch. I also, I don't know if this is intentional or if it's just because it, it suited their complexions, but I thought it was interesting to dress Kate in jewel tones, like like a little less commonly seen in England, like on mm -hmm. on the other young ladies, whereas Edwina is very much dressed like the other young ladies. Like Kate is setting yeah. herself intentionally apart, intentionally. Yeah, older. Like Edwina is one of you, but I'm going to kind of yeah. hold myself back a little bit. Yeah, because it's usually the older, like married women who wear darker colors. Mm -hmm. She's like fully removing herself from right from contention but her jewelry though <laughs> the jewelry the dresses mm -hmm. just the use of bangles yeah it's really nice and then i i just loved the the wedding preparation i i did a little research and looked into it and kate and mary were performing a holiday ceremony for edwina which apparently is um, the mixture that their paste that they're using is a combination of um, turmeric or haldi, um, water or rose water, and sandalwood powder. And they apply this paste to their face and neck, arms, hands, knees, and feet. And so this is supposed to be like good luck for the bride. And I just thought that was such a cute scene. I loved it. I love like the incorporation of of all of the cultural aspects into this yeah. and they kind of use that to further like to further the story and then we had kate's kind of regretful emotional moments and then we had mm -hmm. edwina just completely oblivious to the <laughs> pain her sister is going through and yeah they used yeah. it to their advantage yeah and then really i feel like the crown and glory of the whole show was using kate's full name at the end okay that was beautiful yes it was i cried both times that i saw this um if you look down in the show notes there's a whole piece on the site right now about how much that meant to me i think it was it was the single most beautiful moment in the entire season arguably the entire series at least for me personally because of how much intimacy it conveys yeah. in like five words yep of of anthony being the only person in the series to ever speak kate's full name yeah like to her in a private moment mm -hmm. in a moment of love and like affection and that's how it's used yep was just i i cannot speak enough of this moment it's like netflix and bridgerton have never hurt me bridgerton is my best friend <laughs> like yeah. yeah, it really feels like he's he's honoring her in that moment because mm -hmm. she feels such a pull to go back to India. And it's I feel like it's not totally just her wanting to run away. It's a little bit her running running away from her problems. But yeah, she loves India so much. And I think a little bit of that is him recognizing that part of her and saying, that's valid. You know, you're valid mm -hmm. that you're part of two different cultures. And I see you. And then also him too telling her that because he wants to marry her, that her marrying into the English aristocracy doesn't take that from her. Yeah, exactly. And that that is a part of her that like her husband is intending on honoring. Yep. Oh my God. <laughs> I'm weak in the knees just thinking about it. 
that in combination with all the times he was smelling her. That's <laughs> so cute. I mean, because she smells <laughs> like lilies. <laughs> They're just, I've talked about it before, but I'm going to say it again. I cannot comprehend how they found two actors with such good chemistry. Oh, yeah. That it it came across, like, from the earliest stills and clips that Netflix shared, like, months ago, in every single frame, like, your eye is pulled towards the two of them, towards how mm -hmm. they're looking at each other, how they're barely not touching each other. Like, I like, the show just came out. It's only been a week, but I cannot wait for the fan vids to start pouring in. Mm -hmm. It's just... I want a gif of, of him doing that that neck arch to smell her. <laughs> it was so funny. I want like one of him. Yeah, like, yeah. I want a man who smells me like that. <laughs> I honestly, though, I want a man who smells me like that, uses my full name correctly, <laughs> and, like, I don't know, just looks, he, the way he looks at her, is like she is the source of the oxygen in the room and the sunlight yeah. in the sky. Yeah. And like I don't know how nobody around them realized that they were in love because I'm like it you can taste it in right. the air. I think so, Lady Danbury saw it from the very beginning. She which was is like... what's so frustrating. <laughs> because Lady Danbury, when Simon and Daphne are like, now nah, we're not into it, Lady Danbury's like, but aren't you though? And then Kate and Anthony are like, we're kind of into it. Lady Danbury's like, or he could marry your sister. And she's like so firmly trying to separate them that I don't know why. I, maybe I don't it has get to do it. with the whole Sheffield business. Like she knew that Edwina needed to marry well. So she was like trying to push them together. But there's but really... so many other people she could have married. Yeah. And yeah, I think, I think Lady Danbury definitely could have used her influence to like bring to light what Kate and Anthony have between them and she didn't plus like the whole purpose of Edwina marrying well and getting this dowry from the Sheffields anyway was to be able to financially provide for her mother mm -hmm. and like for Kate and whatever capacity Kate required but if Kate married a Viscount Kate could do that exactly so yeah so I don't understand lady danbury's motivation in that moment like how does she not sense the like the romantic tension in the room mm -hmm. but yeah and she's smart enough to know that even if edwina and antony get together that kate being in the picture is going to be a problem <laughs> like, come on and it just it was so upsetting how ready everybody was to be like well these two are gonna get married even though he's in love with you and you can just go back to india mm -hmm. and i'm like but everybody involved is gonna be unhappy yeah even edwina because edwina loves her husband but her husband doesn't really love her mm -hmm. so like why would you want this for a young woman yeah we're back on complaining but really i just wanted yep. to sing the praises <laughs> of kate and anthony like and i still love lady danbury she's still amazing Oh, yeah, I love her. I just don't get her. Like, towards yeah. the end, I think she'd realized what she'd done and started to, like, come around. But I'm like, lady, where was this energy, like, three mm -hmm. episodes ago? Yeah. 
And I like how we get to, I feel like we finally get to know Colin a little bit in this mm-hmm. season too. I like the, the first shot of him. I was like, you've finished puberty. Yeah. He like falls <laughs> <laughs> out. Yeah. Like you've got some muscle on you now. Okay. <laughs> you can grow facial hair. Or what did Bennett call it? Growth on his face. Yeah. <laughs> Which, okay. It's another thing I want to bring up. Not the growth on his face, but um, like you have siblings. I have a sibling. Like, you know how hard it is on TV for them to depict sibling relationships realistically. Mm-hmm. Usually they don't, they feel like they've known each other for about as long as the actors have. But yeah. one thing I love about this show across both seasons is how well they portray sibling relationships yes definitely like they don't listen to each other half the time they spend half the time insulting each other yeah they're barely restrained in front of their mother like it's just it's one of the the most realistic sibling depictions i've seen on television absolutely and i think a lot of that goes down to the actors and to just how well they clearly seem to get along yeah yeah i think so yeah, they did a great job. It's like finally like sibling relationships that I believe it's not it's, stilted. It's the one time I will ever forgive a sibling referring to another sibling by their relationship. Like, 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 did you have fun last night, brother or like whatever? Like, I mm-hmm. hate that in television, but <laughs> yeah, somehow they pull it off because it well, always sounds sarcastic when they do it. Well, I think part of it is because there was almost an expectancy of that kind of talk in this time period. That's true. Um, like using people's titles, even though brother and sister is not a, technically a title, That's but true. it would still be like a way of respecting the person that you're talking to. And then they do it in a sarcastic tone. So it's like, yeah. <laughs> like if you're speaking to your sibling, about something not life or death serious and you're not being sarcastic are you even speaking to your sibling like right so yeah so i really appreciate that about bridgerton in general yeah yeah oh i was kind of disappointed that we don't really get a resolution at all for edwina because in the book um there's somebody at albury hall in their country party that she ends up falling in love with and she marries him and we don't get that for her in the show. She's just left with no one at the show and a hint at, Oh, maybe she'll be introduced to the prince. But in the book, you know, she was constantly talking about how she wanted to marry a scholar or at least somebody who was, you know, enthused about literature in some fashion. And she does, she meets a guy who is he's not in a you know a professional academic necessarily but uh, he is well learned and they talk about books together and it's really cute i'm like well it's kind of a disservice to edwina in the show that she doesn't get that yeah like i i thought it was cute the prince thing solely because i didn't mind the prince in the first season like the only problem with the prince was that he wasn't simon so (laughs) I, I'm more like, oh, okay. <laughs> He's yeah. getting off the ending. But yeah, like, I think that's part of the larger problem with how Edwina was written is that they took so much of that agency away from her in the beginning mm-hmm. that to see it through at the end, 
wouldn't have clicked because we didn't know that that's what Edwina wanted. And she'd never expressed that desire for herself. Like she never expressed any desire for herself. It was mostly yep. what everybody else told her she should want. Yep. So. Yeah. And that's something that we lose too, in terms of the whole, them never talking anything about, about anything but boys is because like in the book, she talks about how much she likes to read and you know, how much she wants to continue learning. Mm -hmm. And she mentions, I think, at once in the show that she wants to marry someone who can read. Um, but yeah, I do feel like it's, she doesn't get any real character. She didn't get very much character growth. I mean, she has a little bit of growth in terms of maturing after the whole Kate and Anthony thing comes up. And, you know, she realizes that they were keeping things from her she gains a little bit more maturity and trying to deal with that, but that's about it. We yeah. don't really get a lot more like personal character growth from her. Yeah, especially because the, the way she starts the season, and this is like through no fault of her own, because this is how her mother and sister raised her was at the start of the season. She is very like, she's very young. She's very naive and very under the impression that the world revolves around her. Yeah. And it's not, she might not think this consciously, but it does bother her when the world doesn't revolve around her. And then by the end, she has agreed to drop it where her sister and Anthony are concerned because her sister almost died. Yeah. But I think if her sister didn't almost die, she probably would still be sulking about it. Probably. And, like, she doesn't ever really get the chance to have that challenged yeah. and to, like, choose to put her sister first for a change. Yeah. Like, she was kind of forced to because it was like, well, I almost lost her, so I guess I'll yeah. give her what she wants. But, Yeah. She didn't come there on her own. It was like yep. her hand was forced. Yep. I agree. Yeah. But she got a prince, so I guess that's okay. Well, the I world mean, will continue to revolve around her. She's going to be introduced to a prince. I don't know that she'll actually. And it will be interesting to see if she comes back in a later season or not. Oh, that's true. Uh, okay. So that's the other thing. Um, I didn't get enough Kate and Anthony in this season. Mm -hmm. But I can't help but wonder if they're going to come back in the next season. Yeah. Because a lot of Benedict and his love and trust Sophie's plot is like him trying to bring her into society and like integrate her in a way where he can like, it's a Cinderella story essentially for those of you who haven't read it. So him thinking that this girl is a servant girl trying to integrate her in a way where he can like convince her to be his mistress. And I'm almost wondering, instead of him having Sophie work for his mother, if that's where Kate and Anthony come in. Right. Because he and Anthony are so close. So I wonder if they're going to come back, if Edwina's going to pop up once with her prince and be like, hey, <laughs> I'm Princess Edwina now. I don't know. I, I think it would certainly make sense for, for Kate and Anthony to come back just in terms of he becomes the head of the household fully now that he's married. And like we see references down the line about how he influences his siblings desire to find a love match and things like that. So it makes sense for him to continue to be present mm -hmm. in all of the seasons. Yes, I agree. And I hope, I hope that we, we continue to see that. I hope they can, I don't know, expand on a role for, I hope, I hope they don't do what they did with um, Reggae Jean Page and like, not make room for them like for the spouses of the Bridgertons to have significant right. roles to play right because I feel like even if he was in this season he would have just been like hovering in the background yeah 
But then even like even Simon in the books doesn't play a huge role in anything, but Anthony and Kate do. Like yeah. Kate is the entire catalyst for the eighth book. Doesn't yeah. happen without Kate. So here's hoping. Here's yeah. hoping that they that they stick around. I hope Simon comes back too. Me too. Find something real for Simon to do and then bring yeah. Simon back. Like <laughs> I totally respect the actor's decision to not come back if it was going to be like a bit part, like a really right. thankless job that was going to prevent him from doing other stuff. Yeah. To I completely respect that choice. So give him something substantial to do. Yeah. And then bring him back. Like he's friends with this family. He's married into this family. Like he and Kate can commiserate about what lunatics they are. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I feel like we've hit all the big beats. It's just little things like I like starting to like Prudence now and like bringing Mondrich back was really nice. Yeah. Although it was funny that they brought Mondrich back and he's like, I need people to come to my club. And then like your best friend is a Duke. Right. <laughs> he's not here. <laughs> oh my goodness. Oh my God. Uh, that's the problem when like other people are like I'll come back <laughs> it's like the main guy didn't now it doesn't make sense <sighs> Simon was out of town yep for a really long time yeah <laughs> alright so to wrap it up Chelsea what is your single hope for season 3 I think my main hope is going to be that we get plenty of screen time with Benedict and Sophie, just the two of them together. Because um, I think season one really shined when we got so much alone time with Daphne and Simon to work through their problems together as a couple. Um, and that's kind of what we were lacking in season two. We didn't really get to see our main couple just themselves very much. So how we we get back to that, that baseline of this is a romance <laughs> specifically between these two people and all of the sub-characters are incredible, but they're also not supposed to be the main focus. I agree. I want lots of time for Benedict and Sophie alone. I want Anthony and Kate to help with their plot. And I want Sophie mm -hmm. to be Persian. I know that's not one hope. That's three. But they're, none of them are. What? I said that you wasn't want, one hope. That was three. You want Sophie to be what? Persian. Oh, right. <laughs> I like. I know that's three hopes. And I know that last one is not realistic but a girl <laughs> can not? dream a girl can dream why not we always get forgotten yep yeah that's why we're too like people are like oh it's, it's like this it's like it's not, it's not but okay anyway so on that note if you would like more from chelsea and myself you can find me on twitter at arzu amin and you can find chelsea on twitter at chelsea fearless collectively as a network we are at geeky underscore waffle on twitter we are the geeky waffle on facebook instagram tiktok and youtube and we are at thegeekywaffle.com and that's where you can find all of our uh, our bridgerton our bridgerton review and our piece on kate as well as a whole bunch of other awesome reviews written by people like chelsea and we are also on patreon patreon.com slash the geeky waffle and that's where we have things like our discord server and our waffles after dark so Thank you all for listening and stay geeky.